Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Childless Not By Choice. Before we get started, I would like to thank my sponsors and my supporters. First, I would like to thank Morgan Air Conditioning, Sales, Service, and Installation, serving Tampa, Florida, and the surrounding areas. Morgan Air can be reached by calling 813-500-7765. That's 813-500-7765. Thank you, Morgan Air, for recognizing the vision of Childless Not By Choice and being a part of it and thank you for all your work in the community. Next, I would like to thank Alba Digital Media for creating my website, www.childlessnotbychoice.net, and for producing this podcast. To contact Alba Digital Media for your web building and podcast production needs, visit www.albadigitalmedia.com. That's www.albadigitalmedia.com. Thank you, Alba Digital Media, for making me look good and sound good. Finally, I would like to thank Devoted, the musical duo who created my theme music. Thank you, Devoted, for your beautiful music and your awesome talent. To contact Devoted for your music needs, email devotedministries at gmail.com. That's devotedministries at gmail.com. And if you would like to become a one-time or ongoing sponsor of Childless Not By Choice, please contact me at Savilla at SavillaMorgan.com. That's Savilla at SavillaMorgan.com. Thank you so much for listening, and now on to the show. Well, hello everyone, Savilla Morgan here. Welcome back to Childless Not By Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the broken hearts of childless, not-by-choice women and men around the world. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we could not, did not have the children we so wanted. Well, before we get fully in gear here, I wanted to just thank you for your Facebook reshares and your Twitter comments and retweets. It is always appreciated. And I also want to thank my Patreon contributors. Patreon contributors are those who have taken an interest in my platform, whether they fit the childless, not by choice demographic or not. They have decided to contribute a certain dollar amount on on a regular basis to help fund my dream of creating awareness and conversation for the childless, not by choice community globally. So feel free to click that Patreon link in the show notes for details. And in the meantime, I want to thank my um, Patreon contributors, podcaster Sarah Williams of the Tough Girls podcast and Mr. Jordan Morgan. Thank you guys so much. Well, today I have a special guest. This wonderful gentleman and I follow each other on Twitter. We have for a little while, but... One day I took a longer look at his Twitter profile and became intrigued with his platform. He talks about childlessness from a man's point of view. Many of you may recall that there was a time when I did not consider the thought that men could have difficulty dealing with childlessness. I am so thankful for growth and revelation. Um, Since I've opened my mind to the fact that men can and do suffer, whether emotionally or from society's expectations, 
I have had the great opportunity to discuss childlessness from a man's point of view a couple of times here on the podcast. And now I have the great opportunity to interview Dr. Robin Hadley. Let me tell you a little bit about him and then we will get started. Dr. Robin was born in 1960 in a working class area of Manchester, United Kingdom. He was the or is the seventh of eight, uh, eight children, four boys and four girls. Dr. Robin left school, he says, with only a few qualifications, but his wide ranging careers have included such roles as counselor, deputy technical manager, and scientific and technical photographer for 28 years. He was even a kitchen assistant and even a bartender. Dr. Robin's training as a counselor and his own experience of the desire for fatherhood led him to research the subject of involuntary childless men's desire for fatherhood as a research dissertation for his Master of Arts in Counseling from the University of Manchester. He followed up with a self-funded Master of Science, again at the University of Manchester, exploring the levels of desire for parenthood, or as he calls it, broodiness, in females and males, parents and non-parents. He was a social gerontology PhD studentship at Keele University in 2010, and for his PhD study examined the experiences of involuntary childless older men and awarded his Ph.D. in December 2015. Post-Ph.D., Dr. Robin has held a number of short-term research associate uh, posts on projects relating to aging, dementia, technology, and father's influence on infant feeding. Welcome to the show, Dr. Robin. How are you doing today? I'm very well, and I'm really happy to be talking with you and your, your amazing show. Well, thank you so very much. I'm glad you're here. And I just want to let the listener know that um, Dr. Robin's contact information, along with links to his theses, are in the show notes. So please be sure to check those out. I was intrigued as I read them. So please check them out. They're worth the read. (laughs) Um, As we get started, I should say, The first question I have for you, Dr. Robin, is that for our non-UK listeners, tell us exactly what broodiness means, because I believe the term may be used in a slightly different way here in America. Right, okay. It's the yearning for becoming a parent, and that can be a a felt sense, a biological felt sense, or a, a social sense. So it's about the desire to become a parent. Okay. All right. I, I I did look it up when I saw the term. And because in America, I mean, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure somebody can message me. But typically, when I hear the term broodiness, it also rhymes what I think it means moodiness. <laughs> uh, yeah. And in Australia, they call it cluckiness. Okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I guess there are a lot of, you know, different rhymes and, yeah, slight uh, variations on the term, but it pretty much means the same thing, it seems like. Yeah. Well, in our first uh, meeting, our first conversation, I asked if you are childless, not by choice, and you advised that you are. Mm -hmm. And um, for women, women who are childless, not by choice, 
Usually we think of it as a biological issue such as fibroids or endometriosis, mm-hmm. multiple miscarriages, you know, not being able to maintain a pregnancy. And um, lately, the term circumstance was added. So now some of us are childless due to circumstance and or a um, medical issue. Mm. So I may be being nosy, but I know that men are listening and I don't want them to feel like they're alone. And so in your case, what was it? Was it one or both? Uh, It was childless by circumstance, as far as I know. I've never had to provide a sample uh, for for testing. So I I don't know whether I'm fertile or not. Um, But otherwise, it was circumstance. And I can expand on that if you want me to. Of course. I want the men listening to to realize that they're not alone. They're not alone. Uh, Men, you're not alone. There's a lot of influences on how and when we reproduce. And for me, I I got married when I was 26. And so I was sort of on the right track time-wise and age-wise. But then um, the marriage uh, failed for a number of reasons. Mm. And by the time I was 30, I was getting divorced. And just before I got divorced probably about two years before we we got divorced, we were trying for uh, a child. And then possibly the the stress involved with that put a a fracture in the the relationship, actually what we were committing to. Uh, My wife was younger than me, so um, perhaps that was an element uh, there. So uh, at 30, I'm divorced. I've also kept the property and the interest rate went up on the mortgage so I was earning um, I'm going to talk in dollars but actually I'm just um, pounds would be the thing I was earning something like 350 pounds a month and 280 was going out on the mortgage leaving me 70 pounds to live on for food and Mm. transport to work which meant uh, there wasn't much of a social side to my life Right. And and that lasted for a couple of years before I managed to sell the house. So around about 34, I uh, I, I moved into uh, another place, a smaller place, a place I could afford. And I started socialising and I found a, another partner and we were going uh, great. And again, that partner said, let's try for a baby. And uh, very soon after that, then we split up. And again, I think there's a, a lot of issues about when you take that step to move the relationship on to, to try for a child that uh, exposes things. So uh, we split up and then I met my uh, wife now when I was in my late 30s and she was uh, a few years older than me and had uh, made up her mind she wasn't going to uh, become a mother because of the things associated with being a, an older mother. And uh, mm-hmm. she had tried to, she'd been married previously and tried to have a baby and it didn't work. So those circumstances of economics, relationship breaking up and relationships forming all contributed to my childless by circumstance. So fertility is one element of uh, childlessness, but it's 
held within a, a whole social and economic environment. Um, so in my late 20s, I was really aware, and actually in my 30s as well, of uh, my friends and colleagues becoming parents. And I, I felt really left behind and outside of things uh, on that element. So that's, uh, I'm frustrated by that. And I think a lot of men are frustrated by not being where they think they should be and the way we're sort of raised to be, uh, that we're going to be parents. That's a natural thing. And so not becoming a parent and the timing of that, we're very sensitive to, but it's sort of embedded. So sometimes we can feel frustrated and really not know the cause. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that... I know that feeling very well, but I wanted to go back to something you said. I, I wasn't sure if that, um, I don't know, there was a little bit of a blip in the, okay. the recording. Did you say that your current wife has a child? Has not. Oh, she did not. She Okay, she so not. she never had children either. She never had children either. No, okay. She, okay. she wanted to have children, um, but it didn't happen. And okay. then came to that place where you, you sort of decide, this isn't going to happen to me, for me. Right. Okay, I okay, I understand. And so yes, so then that that answers a question that I I've wondered um because there is a level of frustration I know for myself and for the women in my Facebook group where, you know, they wonder why why not me? And so it's interesting to hear that men feel the same way. And um so um go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, men men do feel the same way. It, I think it's something to do with the way we're uh, brought up to socialise. Mm-hmm. So men are brought up not really to uh, communicate verbally about their emotions. And women tend to be brought up that way, not everyone. But right. that tends to be the, the way things are. So when men are frustrated, they're also brought up to do something about it. Uh to be active and proactive and go and get things and fix things. and But it's very hard to fix uh, your fertility or find a partner sometimes when mm-hmm. that, that's what you, you want. There's lots of other factors socially and what's socially acceptable. Right. So socially, um, I would say globally, um, it's expected that you... Um, grow up, get married, have kids, yeah. and if you don't, what's wrong with you? When really, it's in the numbers. Yes, there are seven billion people on the planet, but first of all, in the in the Western world, only fifty percent of marriages last. And then, as you said, there are many societal um, issues that come into play that you really have no control over. And and on top of that, men are also raised to be quiet while they're trying to figure things out. So we don't know what's going on with them, which is why I didn't really think about men and childlessness the way I, I understand it now. It, it is interesting that, uh, yeah, uh, you, you've, you've come to that uh, view. But I think also men themselves don't realize it. Um, a lot of the information and the uh data books are around women and reproduction and men are just sort of there they have one job to do just go and do that well that's one of my questions so okay 
That's funny that you brought that up. <laughs> because that's gonna, I'm going to ask you that um, shortly, I'm, okay. because I really found that intriguing as well. But um, if you want to expand, please do go ahead. Okay. Um, I've sort of lost the track now, I'm afraid. Uh, where was I? Well, you were saying that um, it's it's interesting that uh, basically the oh, question yes. that I had is that women are the ones that are tracked as far as infertility, but not men. Mm. Yes, and that there, there could be a number of reasons uh, for that. Um, could say that uh, since men dominate society, that they dominate women and women's bodies, so they're only really interested in women's bodies uh, as a part of a political domination. Uh, mm part of element and they're not really interested in men uh and they're not really interested in men who don't fulfill the ideal man role of uh being virile uh fertility wise but also economically socially in every single sphere and Mm. that's sort of what men hold themselves up to be as well i should be uh, fertile i should be uh the boss i should be doing things i i should be good at um do it yourself um all i should be good at everything but that that, that's it's almost an impossible thing to be good at everything well it is i would say well i mean that makes sense but again we're looking back historically at just how things were and i think we have to realize that um the way things were even 50 or 100 years ago is we're we're evolving as a race and um especially with technology and living longer and oh. everything else that comes into play things things are going to have to change nothing is going to remain the same absolutely and with more women work moving into the workforce and there's something's going to have to happen about men being able to uh do more caring roles Mm-hmm. and being trained for that but also for uh institutions to recognize that and for social socially for it to become acceptable and right. uh, the other thing i was going to say is when it comes to the figures you're, you're quoting it's really interesting that uh we know almost exactly how many women are with children and how many women are childless mm-hmm. But we really don't know about men, and that goes globally. With I think, with the exception of Norway, almost every other country doesn't really keep records on men and their fertility level. So, and how they do this, countries, is when a child is born, they take the fertility history of the mother, but they don't take the fertility history of the father. So, okay. when you hear fertility statistics, it will be usually based around the fertility of women in a country. Right. They, that's on a global level. Yeah. And since that's in the Western world, that's uh, the age of first birth is go, getting older and the uh, families are getting smaller generally. Right. But it's all around about women. We don't, there's probably more childless men than there are women by uh, 5% at least in most countries. Uh, but in Finland, they did a study a couple of years back of 35-year-olds. So all the a lot of 35-year-olds were assessed. And around about, I think, 23% of women were childless and 40% of men. 40%. Mm. 
40% of men were childless. Involuntarily? Well, they were just childless. They did. Okay. They did. It's um, they can't really measure that okay. it, easily on on big stats. Okay, so yeah, that's that was. Um, I'm going to go back to the the, the next question I had sure. because we are talking about this. So yeah, I grabbed this quote from your um, from your thesis. You said, quote, research has mainly focused on family and women with the fertility intentions, history and experience of older men being overlooked. Mm. Most nations do not collect the fertility history of men. And consequently, it is impossible to judge the population level of childless men, which is what you're saying. Although involuntary childlessness has frequently only been associated with infertility treatment, there is growing recognition that there is a latent population that is absent from research literature, unquote. So since you wrote that, I think you wrote that two years ago, if I was reading my notes correctly. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any change? I know you talked about the Finnish study, but have you seen any change globally to that? No. 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 Um, there are, I think, a few studies coming from Europe, Uh looking at childlessness but they they tend to link it to health and why are people uh childless why are people delaying uh, their fertility decisions mm-hmm. and then go compare across countries so why are some countries um particularly in eastern europe have a high relatively high uh, fertility rate compared to some in the West and the differences between the North and South of uh, Europe. But really, there is that... People like me who haven't been in infertility treatment aren't counted. Uh, involuntary childlessness is very much linked to uh, fertility treatment. So you go to your doctor saying, we've tried to have children, it's not worked, he passes you on to a specialist, and you get involved in treatment or you don't and once you make that this let's say you're involved in treatment and it doesn't work or you withdraw from treatment then you're you're labeled involuntary childless Mm. okay but it's very much associated to that clinical position but actually there's a whole raft of people who don't get involved in the clinical world for a number of reasons and they're still involuntary childless or childless by circumstance mm-hmm. right and so there's that whole area of where people uh may be suffering depression anxiety um feeling isolated from society being isolated and stigmatized by their peers for not becoming a parent and yet nobody's representing them and that that's a shame all those things happen to people who've gone through treatment. They're, they're stigmatized. They feel depressed. They feel uh, physical illness, uh, social issues. If it happens to them, it must happen to people who don't go through treatment as well. But we we really don't hear their voices. Well, that is changing as of two and a half years ago. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> you know... For me, it was circumstance and medical. I had to battle fibroids 
Mm-hmm. And um, as many of the listeners know from my previous episodes, I had three myomectomies. And myomectomies are fibroid removal surgery. Mm-hmm. So I had three of those in, a, in the space of a decade while I tried to buy time to meet Mr. Wright because mm-hmm. I did not want to raise a child by myself. And so that was for me circumstance and medical, which is why I asked you that question in the beginning. Oh, Uh, yeah. And and then, like you said, the depression, the sadness, the comparison, you know, look at all of my friends, my family around me having children. What about me? Why can't I meet the right person? What's Mm -hmm. wrong with me? You know, all of the questions that come up in our minds, you know, they start popping up. Yeah. (laughs) And, and as adults, uh, jealousy and anger. And we're mm-hmm. not supposed to be like that because we're adults. And these mm-hmm. are things possibly you associate with children, but actually they're just very, very human reactions. Uh, I was really jealous of one of my colleagues when he became uh, a parent. Uh, I, I almost couldn't speak to him. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd walk... I'd, uh, take uh, steps so I I wouldn't see him. I'd, avoidance, I'd, absolutely avoidance. Thank you for that uh, <laughs> that word. That's what I was struggling. I'd go down the the fire escape. I'd oh, wow. make sure I I change my work pattern so I wouldn't bump into him and uh, things. And it, and I'd known him for for years. I knew him before we ha- just happened to work at the same place. I knew him from school, mm-hmm. so I'd I'd known him a long time. But just that. Actually, we did have a chat about this eventually because he said, Look, you're avoiding me. And I went, yes, I am. And since we had to work with each other in certain fields, then that wasn't great for work. And I said, you, you're ev- you've got everything that I should have <laughs> and I want to have. And at that point, I couldn't see how I would get it either. Mm-hmm. Boy, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hope. That it, in a way, I hope it does sound familiar, but it's coming from uh, a working class British man. Uh, well, no, just basically, it's coming from a man's point of view. That's, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. The bottom line, it's coming from a man's point of view, so that the women listening can also see. And I'm not sure. I, I know some women are going to feel even more guilty now because maybe they're the fifty percent of the um, the the. The mm-hmm. issue, because, you know, we all know that 50% of the time it's the man, yeah. um, 50% of the time it's the woman who um, is, is having the infertility issues. But that's not the point we're trying to make here. I think the no. point we're trying to make is no matter whose issue it is, we both have the same types of feelings. So I just don't want the women to go away and feel even worse than they do. Please yeah. don't do that, because that's not what we're saying here. No. We're saying that we both have the same feelings and issues um, I know even in my group, I have to deal with, and, and personally, let me just be real. I've had to deal with bitterness, which is one of the worst of all of those emotions we just mentioned, yeah. because I think bitterness really eats at you inside and outside. And so I really had to work on getting rid of that. But the yeah. envy and the bitterness and the jealousy, I, I know that, that those are real feelings. I don't think I ever felt jealousy or envy i just wondered why not me mm. what about me where's mine yeah you know where's my husband where's my child mm. but um there are people who deal with bitterness envy jealousy and 
I'm not going to discount it because I totally understand it. Why oh, couldn't it happen for me? It's so natural. Why can't it happen for me? <laughs> Absolutely. And then you, you look around and think, well, why have they got it? Uh, right. I have these, I know, bad people have, have families. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and why, why not me? I'm a good person. We all like to think we're good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and from... Absolutely agree with your 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 the the women who are listening. It's just actually maybe why your your man hasn't talked about it. He just clams up, or he goes and uh, brushes the yard, or climbs up on the roof and repairs a tile, or or starts working hard and takes more time doing sports or whatever. That's his way of dealing with it in a way. Yeah. Because uh, we, we're not socialised to, to speak about our feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like we've got a concrete block uh, just below the neck and uh, across the shoulders that stops, uh, keeps all those feelings in. So there's a lot of feelings churning up inside. But what wow. we don't have is the, the words and the ease to speak it and not be vulnerable. So uh, somebody did say, you know, what men most fear is being humiliated. Yeah. And and there is, I think, something in that that actually I'm saying this is how I, how I felt. This is what it was like for me. <clears throat> it, I, I've done a lot of counselling. I've been counselled a lot. So it, it takes a, uh, quite a lot for a man to get round to that position. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for, for some women it does as well. But generally, women are socialised to share what's happening inside. So when I was counselling, uh, I or just generally, it's very easy for me to say, hi, Sevilla, how are things? How are you feeling about that? And I wouldn't be surprised so well, I'm feeling sad about this, this makes me upset. And to reveal in that, but if I, when I was counselling men, I never asked them how they felt. I asked them what was going on inside, right? Because then it's addressing it directly. What's happening inside for you? Uh, because men have been socialised not to feel. So if you ask me how how am I feeling, I will tell you. But years ago, I would have gone, well, how am I? In my head, the conversation would have been, how am I feeling? How am I supposed to feel? What do they want to know? Actually, I'm feeling really bad inside, but that's not appropriate for me to say that because I'll look weak and they'll sort of have, maybe have a hold of me or they may mock me. Uh, so actually, I'll just say something fairly neutral. I'm all right. I'm a and bit sad. I'm a bit angry. So it'll all be lessened. But you would you if you if you were to say you were a bit sad or a bit angry, it would have to be with somebody that you trust. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And and just a side note, mm -hmm. um, for some who just have not gotten it yet, and yes, it's true. I've never been married, but I, I'm I observe a lot. I mm -hmm. observe, and my observation is that men want to be respected and loved and women want to be loved and respected and there is a difference in that order for a reason 
So we have to be able, those of you who are married or in a relationship, you have to be able to respect the man and love him. And if he gets it, that he has to love you and then respect you, it'll make the relationship work better, especially in the trying times of infertility. That's just a side note observation that I've... (laughs) You can attest to that if you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, relationships are hard and complex, uh, particularly these days, I think, with technology and everything that's going on in the world. Um, it, and if you're going through IVF treatment, uh, it, it's really uh, a strain on on your relationships because you're you're going for a goal that's uh oh it, it's just so difficult that that whole procedures involved with IVF and mm-hmm. what it involves so it's an added layer of stress and um a lot of uh marriages don't don't make it through it oh so um Speaking of that, though, one of the questions, one of my burning questions that I have for you is, and I don't know if I if I saw it in the research or it just popped into my head, you can correct me, but did you mention that men have a biological clock? And if so, did you find that men have a biological clock the way women do or in a different way or not at all? Okay. They do have a biological clock. And there's a social clock as well. But let's deal with the biological clock. It's slightly different for men than women. The uh, the hormonal change, which is uh, usually associated with the, the menopause. Mm-hmm. There's a thing called the andropause for, for men, which is a similar but more drawn out, uh, slow reduction in hormone levels. And luckily for me, I've forgotten what the hormone is. But testosterone would be one mm. of it. But it, it's it's extended. So it's like a, an extended, very, very slow reduction. Um, but the other biological element is the uh, quality of sperm uh, declines after 40. So um, you won't really find many uh, sperm banks that want sperm from men aged over 35, mm. uh, unless, of course, you're paying for your, your own treatment, in which case they'll, they'll take your, your, your sperm. Um, so that's uh, a fact that's not really uh, known uh, terribly uh, well, but it does decline. So the two sort of match up, in a way, the, the female and the, the male gametes in that uh, element. Socially, there was research done in Australia by, uh, I know her name's Canold, Leslie Canold, in the early 2000s, looking at women who were childless and why they were childless. And what she found was that, as well as the biological clock, as important was the social clock, what your peers were doing, what your friends, your family, what were the expectations around you? That was as important as the biological clock. And the same goes for men. So what I found in my research was around about the age 35 was a peak time for yearning in men. And the reason, one of the reasons for that 
was because they didn't want to be a, an old dad. They wanted to be at an age when their kids were making that transition from the home to university or to work or to college at the age 15, 16 to 20, where they would still be fully functional. Uh, they'd be In England, it'd be, well, I'll, I'll be able to take my uh, son or daughter for their first drink in a bar. Mm-hmm. So I think, or I'll be able to play football with them or netball. But there's uh, definitely interactions and being able to do that. And being older was seen as, actually, I'm going to lose some capacity there. But there's also a thing of, actually, uh, there's a certain age when you should really be a, a grandparent rather than a parent, with the exceptions of uh, rock stars, um, <laughs> possibly. But, even you know, if... Uh, you're a rock star and you're age 70 and you become a, a father you're sort of celebrated but if you were uh, working in the local garage and you were 65 and you became a dad you probably wouldn't be treated in the same way mm. uh, and if you were reported in the press it wouldn't be of in the same manner there might be much more shock rather than celebration on that element so does so, that answer your question? Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely, because I'm seeing the similarities now, and and I think um, we know that the 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 long, as you how did you explain it, the the extended release of um, of time for the man's biological clock is why men are able to father a child at seventy, where yeah. a woman would not be able to. But the similarity I just realized is at age 35, because um, in a previous interview I did with an OBGYN doctor, she mentioned that for women, um, well, we know after age 35, it's a high-risk pregnancy for a woman. But also, the number of eggs that a woman has after age 35 or doesn't have, it just the number falls off a cliff, basically. Oh which is amazing to me. So our biological clock, we both have biological clocks, but the woman's biological clock time ratio is much shorter than the man's. Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's interesting to know. And um, so continuing on here, um, I think this is opening a lot of eyes so far for people. And I'm just so glad that we're able to do this. Um, as I look at the next question, it says in your PhD thesis summary, uh, you mentioned the research of the 14 men aged 49 to 82. And I'm wondering if you noticed a trend of any type aside from the, well, I'm assuming ongoing grieving. You can tell me. It sounds like there is ongoing grieving, but you can tell me if that's true or not or tell us. Um, was there anything that stood out or that surprised you about that response? Um I think the the standout thing was uh, the men didn't say grieving or bereavement Mm. particularly. What they said was something was missing. Ah. Something's missing from my life. Um, That's deep. (laughs) It is. It is. Just that word missing rather than bereavement or grief. And I think it's actually for a little word it says so much. Because I think also what's missing is the narratives and the words that people, well, 
tend to use around not becoming a parent, particularly women, to have a, a wide vocabulary that women draw on. And mm. it's all they can say is there's something missing. And it's, and it's almost like they can't, they know something's missing, but they can't expand on what's missing. And I think possibly because what's missing is so big and so deep, they find it hard to contextualize and limit um, in that in that way because uh, they're missing out in the social aspect of playing football, uh, having chats, sharing stories with other parents or parents to be or grandparents. And going on camping trips. <laughs> going on camping trips. Uh, yeah. So uh, when I was working, I was having a. Uh, a, a cup of tea with two colleagues who were parents and their children were about uh, five and seven, I think, something like that. And they were talking about DS, DS. The kids are playing DS. And I just thought, the kids are playing drug squad? That's all I could <laughs> think of. So, And that's what I... Oh, sh sorry about that. Sorry. I didn't realise whatever that was was on. Um, so the kids were playing drug squad. I, I, is what I thought, and they they, they laughed at me. Mop um, said, "No, it's uh, Nintendo DS. It's mm -hmm. these little games, and that's an example of how you're sort of not in the loop, out of touch. You're out of touch at, yeah. at different levels. And so I I interviewed a, a fellow actually on my MA, and he was a a senior healthcare professional." And he was in a meeting and they were talking about a particular uh, uh, patient and uh, one of the other health professionals said, but you're not a parent, how would you know? Mm. And that, so you was, that, that was in a medical setting, about a medical context. Oh my goodness. So you men get the same nonsense. Yeah, I think it's possibly wow. delivered slightly differently, maybe slightly more nuanced and distanced. I think somehow there's people feel there's a right to question women about their fertility decisions and lifestyle, whereas for men, I think that they're a bit more. Yeah, he's just a bit weird or he's a bit strange. They sure. just assume because you didn't have the child, and 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 God forbid the man who didn't get married and didn't have the child, he's even more strange. <laughs> Ab uh, absolutely, yes, yeah. I, I think there's a range of uh, narratives around women who don't be become mothers, and one of those is you're selfish. Uh, there's uh, I'm involved with a group called Aging Without Children, mm -hmm. and they did a survey, and one of the replies came in i was in the bank and uh, the woman asked me if i had any children i think for some sort of technical uh, reason from form filling and she said no and the clerk said how selfish of you mm. I, I don't think that would particularly <laughs> happen to a man who didn't have any children oh but, my goodness. I, but i mean that is just so dramatic isn't it it's ridiculous because you don't know her story. How dare absolutely. you? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. How dare you? This is why I am just shouting from the rooftops and will continue to do so globally that this has got to stop.
It has got to stop. We cannot, we cannot be so presumptuous with, with especially with strangers, but even with our own family members. I mean, even the group that I have on Facebook now, if you can only hear some of the things that these women are told by their own family members, yeah, TikTok, TikTok, the clock is kick, ticking. You know, things like that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so disheartening to know that human beings can be this way to each other. I know in one interview where this woman is childless by choice, she was told by someone in the church that she was going to hell because she opted not to have children. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember seeing that in any Bible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It is. It is. <sighs> That's sad. But... um. Did you have any have the opportunity to teach these men anything that would help them cope with their childlessness? I I didn't. It was a pure uh, research project. But actually, what a lot of them said this is the first time they talked about it mm-hmm. uh, to anyone, even those who were uh, in relationships. Um, I offered to send them the transcripts of of our interviews and. Uh, Quite a few refused, mm-hmm. uh, saying, I, I, I'm just happy to get this out and say it. And now, almost like I can move on in right. a way. So, but that it, the, the reason for the interview wasn't counseling as such, although I, it had a, I think for some men it had a counseling effect. Okay. Well, just a couple more questions here, but um, one of the last questions is, do you have a word of encouragement that you can share with the male listeners and or the female listeners? Um, yes. And that word is, what is that word? I did have that word and now it's <laughs> gone. <laughs> I do have a word of it. Children are one element of of life, and life is varied and mixed. And there is sadness and there is something missing. But you have a choice of what to do around that. And that may be to become involved in teaching or getting that whatever is you want from uh, an intergenerational relationship. Or doing something else. It's our fate. We haven't had children. And now it's our lives to manage. That's perfect. In a nutshell, that's that's what it is. It, it comes down to choice. It comes down to choice, um, as, as you just said, too, that if there are children in your life, for me, it was my nephews. They're adults now. But I was just so thankful that their parents allowed me to be in their lives from the time they were born. And I took every opportunity to be the best aunt I could be. And I know some people don't even get that because they have siblings who refuse to let them hang out with their children. And that's very, very sad. But I'm just thankful to my brother and his wife for allowing me to take the kids for the weekend, to be able to clean up vomit, (laughs) change pampers. Yeah. (laughs) I was thankful for that because that's all I was going to get. And I didn't even know at the time that that's all I was going to get. I was still expecting to have children, to get married and have children. So as I look back, 
I'm thankful for that. And now they're adults and they love me. I just know they do, <laughs> you know, so it's just beautiful. Can I just say, there's a, a guy I interviewed who was 82 and he had been a grandfather, a surrogate, uh, it's not a surrogate, an adopted grandfather for two uh, boys who were in their early teens. He knew their father from going to a football match supporter and so as a school project they needed a grandfather and he became their adopted grandfather and he did that for three years and he it's loved beautiful. it absolutely loved it and he still sees the boys now even though they're they're young men in their 20s mm-hmm. and they still see them at the football and they said oh they still shout hi granddad to me mm-hmm. hi and, uh, <laughs> so i did say and what happens then for you and he said i feel so appreciated it's lovely that's what i miss that word miss again yeah. uh, but he had that experience of being a granddad so i i think that there's opportunities there yes totally we just have to like you said if we want to teach um and, and you have your heart has to be ready yeah you can't go and teach toddlers and, you know, have a, a bitterness about you yeah. or, you know, and I'm going to be doing a future episode on that, too, that the spirit or a demeanor um, shows. It shows. Yeah. And so we've got to really choose to accept what we've been dealt and do the best with it that we can and 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 try it as much as we can to do away with the bitterness, the envy, the jealousy and, you know, even, oh my gosh, hatred. Yeah. <laughs> You know, those things are not going to help us through the rest of our lives. But um, so post-PhD, you have held a number of short-term research associate posts Mm -hmm. on projects relating to aging, dementia, technology, and father's influence on infant feeding, which I found interesting. Tell us more about this research, such as did you recognize an elevated level of dementia or any other negative impact on the childless men? Okay. On the dementia uh, project, I was looking at. Uh, with I, I was looking. I was a. I was a small part of a team, and I was at the bottom of that team as well. Looking at uh, technology for tracking people with dementia. So it was a watch, that was also a phone and a tracker, so mm-hmm. that an administrator would be able to track the person. So if they went wandering, which is a big uh, issue for people with dementia and their carers and then they would be able to phone them direct to the phone and say why are you at the train station just stay there i'll come and pick you up that sort of thing so that was a very interesting uh, project um out of that i found another device called dementia buddy which is very similar but a lot cheaper and it's just a wristband with a little chip in it so if you pay for things with your phone and you just tap the phone or tap the card that's the same chip and it just contains a little bit of detail in the chip of your name address maybe uh, any health issues and anybody with a phone can tap it and it will just come up with that device straight that information straight away on their phone so locally the police and the fire brigade have that so if they're called to somebody who's wandering they can just tap their phone on this uh, device and it just tells them who to phone and if there's any issues and it's just a simple little device that was developed by a local charity 
It's called Dementia Buddy. It's fantastic. So on the dementia thing, it's really, really uh, important about how much family take care of people when they're ageing. So in the Ageing Without Children survey, they found it was something like 92% of uh, informal care for older people is by family. And for older people without adult children, there's a, an issue. And there's going to be an issue in the future around who's going to care for you if, you're, if you don't have adult children. How is that going to be managed? So again, it's about how can I manage this situation on, on that element. On the infant feeding, that was very interesting how, very similar to uh, the fertility statistics, men are excluded mm -hmm. from the information. They want to be involved, but actually go to the perinatal classes before birth, the antenatal classes, um, when it came to, to breastfeeding, the the men were sent out the room. Oh. But actually, the support around women who are breastfeeding is very, very, very important to help them continue breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is very good for the baby and mm -hmm. uh, for relationships. And so the lack of information for men excluded them from uh that arena and it's very a bonding time for for mother and for father and if father can bottle feed or help uh, breast pump then they're all bonding elements and cementing elements within the relationship at a time when uh, relationships are under stress so yeah that was that was uh, interesting too mm, that that how men are excluded and isolated in that area in the same way that because data is not collected about men they're excluded and invisible because they're childless so but these men in the breastfeeding in the the bottle feeding were these men the fathers of the children uh yes tended okay. to be yeah okay yeah interesting okay yeah we have a lot more to learn <laughs> As human beings, you know, there's yeah. just so much more that we need to learn. But, well, um, as we wrap up here, is there anything you would like to add? Anything I missed that I should have asked? I, I can't think of anything. It's been a joy talking to you. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a, a great show and a great thing you're doing. Well, thank you so very much. I, I'm just always happy to get great interviews like this one. So thank you very much for your time today. And um, I, I found, like I said in the beginning, I found your thesis papers intriguing. So um, I'm sure there was much more I could ask. But, you know, just just know listen, uh, for the listeners that the papers, the links to the papers are in the show notes. If you have any problems opening them up, let me know. But um, Dr. Robin's email address, uh, I'm sorry, web address is also in the show notes. So that's his con way to contact him if you want to get in contact with him. But um, Dr. Robin, thank you so very much for your time today. And um, for the listeners, thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback, any questions, feel free to reach out to Dr. Robin or to myself. As you know, my contact information is in the show notes as well. So please take a look at the show notes. 
And um, once again, Dr. Robin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for a lovely talk and good luck to all your listeners. Thank you so much.